Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, it's good to see y'all. My name is uh, Nick Jodkowski. I'm the associate pastor here at uh, Mosaic Church. And you know I'm the associate pastor because I have to schluff my own podium to the front of this church. <laughs> poo, 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 poor me, right? <laughs> suffering. I am suffering, yes. Yes. So before we jump into uh, God's Word this morning, uh, let us begin with a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we have so many minds that are filled with different thoughts of comings and goings and holidays and families and stress and tension and anxiety. Lord, we carry with us joys and hurts. And Lord, we need you to speak to us today. And so, Father, we lay those things down at your feet and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us wisdom to see the truth of your word, that we may walk out of here differently than when we first arrived. We thank you for that and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this might be hard for some of you to believe, but I am not a perfect husband. You didn't have to laugh at that. <laughs> In fact, I know right now my wife is sitting in the front row saying, oh, yes, husband, I know, I know. <laughs> it's true, I have many, many, many weaknesses when it comes to my role as a husband. But if I were able to sum up one of those weaknesses, perhaps my greatest flaw, you might say, using a meme, I might use this meme that I found a few months ago on social media as the best way to surmise my greatest flaw as a husband. And I'll try to get out of the way here, but it says, my toxic trait is not letting anyone else clean because it's not clean unless I clean it. And then getting mad when no one helps me clean. <laughs> Can anyone else here relate with that today? Yeah, a couple. All right, there's some people in here that feel me. We're brothers and sisters on that. The house is not clean unless I'm the one who actually cleans the house. And yes, I totally act petty towards my wife when she doesn't help me for some strange reason, when I'm following behind her every time, like washing the areas that she's already washed down. It's a problem, and I might need professional counseling for that. And a lot of my cleaning self-sufficiency or desire to control that stems from the old adage of, if you want something done, you've got to do it yourself, right? And that's either because nobody cleans the way that I clean, which of course is the right way to clean, or because in my past, I had numerous roommates who said they were cl would clean, but were total slobs and never actually did any of the cleaning in the house. Whatever the reason, I am here this morning to confess to you this. It has taken me literally years to begin to let go of my control issues and trust Don with beginning to clean the house. I'm making progress and we are getting there. And I wish I could say to you this morning that when it came to cleaning, that that was the only area of my life where I vied for control in my life. It's not. The truth is, is that I have control issues also when it comes to my journey of faith. 
And you say, Pastor Nick, what, what do you mean when you say that? Well, let me just stop and ask you a question. Have you ever asked for God's help in a time of difficulty? Only to never see that help seemingly materialize in our lives. Me too. Me too. And in the aftermath of those unanswered prayers or the deliverance that never seems to arrive as scheduled, it's easy to begin to wrestle with questions about the faithfulness of God in the midst of those circumstances. Questions like, does God actually care about me? Or perhaps more importantly, can I actually put my trust in God when I actually need him? And as a result, for me personally, I don't know about you, but for, uh, for me personally, I, when that happens, I tend to put less and less trust in my faith in God, and instead, more and more, I begin to depend on my own self-sufficiency to see myself through to these different outcomes in life. And so I pull the different levers in my life, I manipulate the different levers in my life to control my marriage, to control my job, to control people at work, to control the church, and even to try and control my own sin. And the truth is, is that more often than not, it ends up as a dumpster fire. But I still do it nonetheless. I pull those levers. I'm trying to control over and over again. And the truth is, if I'm being honest with you this morning, that there are some times in my life where I put more trust in myself than I do in God for my life. And I have to imagine that if I'm sitting here talking to you and you're hearing the words of my voice, I'm not the only one who can probably say that this morning. That if we were honest with one another, I'm sure that we would all be able to admit that there were different times in our lives where we lean more on our own self-sufficiency than we do depend on faith in God to come through for us. Because we've all experienced those difficult circumstances in life. Those circumstances that, that rock our faith in the faithfulness of God. Those outcomes in life where we move more and more to a dependency on ourselves than we do to dependency upon God. And the reasons for that self-sufficiency and the desire to kind of begin to control our lives are as varied and numerous as there are people in this room. I think for some of us, perhaps some of the reasons that we begin to depend upon ourselves is that perhaps there was an unanswered prayer for the healing of a loved one who never got better. If you've been in Mosaic Church for any amount of time, you know that story all too well as we experienced that last year with Brad. Perhaps it's the unending barrage of tragedies that just bombards us on a daily basis from our news stories and social media feeds that begins to plant a seed of doubt in our minds about, can I trust God? After all, we tell ourselves, if God couldn't protect those people, how can he protect me? Or possibly it's prayerful petitions for major life events that never seem to bend in our favor. Maybe it's the loss of a job or the passing over of a job promotion. Maybe it's a marriage that is slowly dissolving in our fingers or perhaps if you're single, it's the inability to find somebody to marry at all. Maybe it's an unexpected pregnancy or the heartbreak of a miscarriage. 
I think whatever the circumstance, whatever the reason is, I think all of us can say that our self-reliance grows, it sprouts and grows somewhere deep within the recesses of our souls as that belief begins to whisper in our ear, you can't trust God. And so we grasp for control in our lives. We lean more and more into our own self-sufficiency as we try to both protect ourselves and secure happiness for ourselves in life. And I think it goes without saying this morning, church, that that approach to life is clearly at odds with the Bible that we read on a daily basis. The Bible talks about this Christian lifestyle that is lived in a deep faith in God, this lifestyle that has an abiding trust, a confident trust that God will come through for us. So the question this morning that we are going to wrestle with is that then how do we resolve the seeming contradiction in our lives of our lived experience and the frustration and the disappointment that we have with God's action, or perhaps for some of us, the lack thereof, and the Bible's call for us to rest in the providence The protection of God is our defender and protector. In other words, how do we actually live out that bumper sticker, let go and let God, right? Especially for us control freaks in here. How do we take our hands off of our lives? And I think the cool thing is, is that God in his infinite wisdom, and that is why he is God and I am not, because he must have known that as human beings, we would struggle with this trust in him and leaning more into our, insufficiency, into our own sufficiency and less on his sufficiency. And in the book of Psalms, the psalmist begins to tell this story about his utter dependency upon God on this very difficult journey in life. And the reasons that he proclaims for declaring dependency upon the sufficiency of God, I think this morning are going to surprise us as well as challenge where we're at in our faith walks. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 121, and let's discover together what God has to say about this important issue of faith and trusting him in our lives. In Psalms 121, you're going to notice the book of Psalms is a big book. It's the biggest book in the entirety of the Bible. There's 150 different Psalms in that book, and those are ancient songs and prayers and hymns. And specifically, Psalms 121 is entitled, you'll see it at the beginning of the psalm, A Song of Ascents. And the reason that that is called that is that because biblical scholars actually believe that this was the second of six psalms of ascent. And that these psalms, these six psalms, were compiled into what was a, a hymn book, an ancient hymn book that was actually sung or recited as their pilgrimages were happening of ancient travelers were going up the hill to Jerusalem to go see and worship God. They would sing and recite these songs. Think about it much like some of the songs that you might have sung as a kid on a long road trip, right? The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. Or maybe, baby, no, I I won't do that to you. I won't do that to you. I won't do that to you. 
these psalms were less, meant to be much less annoying than those songs. These songs were actually, these psalms of ascent were meant to be a source of strength and encouragement to these ancient Jewish travelers who were making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem on a road that was fraught with all kinds of different dangers. There were robbers potentially on one side, wild animals on the other, and all the while the threat of natural disaster. And so these psalms were sung as a means of remembrance and to encourage and strengthen them as they went on their way. And so let's read then Psalms 121 together, this psalm of ascent. And it says this, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let my foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm and watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. And so let me ask you a question. If you had no knowledge of the Bible, and this was the psalm that was presented to you, what would be your natural conclusion about what a believer's life might look like? We might think that as believers, our lives would be super cushy, and extra comfortable because it says there that God is going to deliver us from all evil and harm, right? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Wrong answer. And that is a huge misconception that many believers have regarding the providence of God. This belief that God is going to deliver me from all evil and harm, it's more akin to a fairy tale than it is to actually correct theology. And we would arrive at that misconception of God's providence because all of us have this westernized notion of God's providence in suffering. We have this westernized notion of uh, God's providence in suffering. Our American culture gives very little reason for why suffering actually happens in our lives. And it does an even worse job of actually giving us reasons or explanation on how to handle suffering when we encounter it. And so here is the hard part, is that in our modern, secular world, this idea of suffering has bled into much of our Western Christian theology that the purpose of our lives is to avoid suffering at all costs for pursuit of happiness in the moment. That I will do whatever I can to pursue happiness in the moment. And so consequently, when it comes to our relationship with God, we believe that God must be made into our image, or we think that God at least needs to play by our rules when it comes to suffering. And as we said earlier, when that happens... This theological conundrum of sorts begins to, to, to brew in the mind of a believer because when we take and encounter verses like Psalm 121 and then we try to homogenize that with our Western view of suffering along with our belief that God's sole priority in life is to make you happy, we start to run into all kinds of theological issues. Why? 
Well, we already said, because there's suffering everywhere you go. Every day we wake up, we encounter suffering and evil in our social media feeds, on the news, in our lives in general, at work and in our home. And it directly contradicts our modern Western theology of suffering. And so we see family members get sick. We see friends lose their job. We see relationships torn apart. We watch in horror as the Denver Broncos trade like 20 of their first-round draft picks to acquire Russell Wilson, and he's a terrible quarterback. (laughs) Suffering is everywhere in this life. It's all around us. And as a result, we have to surmise that either God is asleep at the wheel or that God is unable or unwilling to help or protect me in my moment of need. And so rather than resting in the providence of God, we lean more and more into our own self-reliance. We lean more and more into our own ability instead of trusting God. And so we grasp for the controls of our lives, trying to seek happiness where we can. And our Western theology of suffering, and let me just say this again to be very clear, is deeply flawed and wholly unbiblical. And so to understand and lay hold of these amazing promises that we just read in in Psalms 121, we need to first be able to understand what the psalmist means when he uses the phrase, the Lord is my help. So say this word with me, Jehovah Ezer. Jehovah Ezer. Jehovah Ezer is actually an ancient Jewish term. It's a a name of God. It's an attribute, it's a term used to describe an immutable facet of God's character. Literally translated, Jehovah Ezer means the Lord my help or the Lord our help. And knowing that name of God, along with all the other different names of God in the Bible, matter deeply because in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, it says this, that the name of the Lord is a fortified tower that the righteous run to and are safe. And what is the key word that we see in that book of Proverbs? It's the word safe, isn't it? Because everything hinges on what that word means. What does God mean when he says that when we run to his name, we are safe? And it's here that our Western notion of suffering begins to diverge greatly from our biblical theology of suffering. Because in our Western minds, when it comes to being safe, we carry with us this idea, the removal of of harm and evil from our lives. But according to biblical theology, it literally means that word safe means to be elevated. It means to convey a sense of security in the midst of our trials and our suffering rather than the removal that our Western minds might desire. And so we see this idea of safety being associated with the name of God elsewhere in Scripture. In fact, in Psalms 20, verse 1, it says that, May the Lord answer you on your day of trouble. May the name of God or the name of Jacob set you securely on high. Again, it's that word safe that is used in Psalm chapter 20, verse 1. This idea of elevation, of being lifted above. 
In other words, the Bible paints this picture as Jehovah Ezer being a strong tower that we run into that elevates our perspective above the turmoil and fray that is happening below us, not the removal of those things from our lives. Think about it this way. Have you ever been to Willis Tower in Chicago? I was chastised last night. If you're from Chicago, it's Sears Tower. I understand. (laughs) But have you ever been to Willis Tower in Chicago? Right? A lot of us have been there. Okay. So when you stand at the base of that tower, looking up, all you can see is directly what is in front of your face, right? But if you were to ascend the 110 stories all the way up to the sky deck of Willis Tower, your perspective begins to change, doesn't it? You also might need a change of underwear, but your perspective changes too, right? Because what happens, not only can I just see, and I'm not just seeing again what's in front of me, I begin to see for miles and miles and miles. And suddenly the traffic jam that was happening at street level that made no sense in that moment from my elevated perspective, I can see the car accident 10 blocks over that is causing that. It doesn't change the fact that there's still a traffic jam happening below me in that moment. But my elevated perspective gives me clearer understanding into why that is happening. And that is the safety of Jehovah Ezer. And I know what you're thinking this morning. Because I thought it too this week. Perspective is great. Sounds awesome. Sweet. I get it. Higher perspective, elevated perspective, an eternal perspective to see the struggles in this life. But if God really loved me, if God really loved me, why would he just not get rid of all the pain and the suffering in life? And church, I got to tell you this morning, the bottom line is this. God is not primarily concerned with your happiness. God is not primarily concerned with your happiness in life. God is concerned with your holiness in life and bringing glory to his name through your life. And so the truth is, is that God uses, Jehovah Ezer uses the suffering of this world that we encounter, the suffering that is brought about by the sin and brokenness of humanity, and he uses that as a tool to refine all the ick and all the gross, the sin and the selfishness out of our lives so that we might more rightly reflect his image of grace, of love and mercy to a world that is watching. That is God's primary purpose in our lives. And so the truth is this, that from that perspective of elevation, when we look at life through that eternal perspective, when we see our suffering through that eternal perspective, there is this peculiar sense of joy that accompanies the believer in suffering. Because as a believer from that elevated position, we understand that there is nothing that happens in our life by happenstance or just by random chance, but that there, a suffering that we encounter is directed and led and held and allowed by the hands of our loving God. And it's why the book of James tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Think about that for a second. 
Think about that advice for a second and just how ludicrous it sounds. The only way that you can tell somebody to have joy, to to consider it pure joy, whenever you face trials and circumstances, is if you have a perspective that is greater than the moment in which you are standing, that if you can see beyond the moment to know that there is a God who is working everything for your good and His glory. And so here's the rub this morning, church. Here's the hard part about this, is that the supernatural perspective that results from our elevated position of knowing the names of God and the character of God is not our natural disposition as human beings. When we encounter suffering in this life, our perspective doesn't normally start up on the 110th floor of the Willis Tower, right? Our natural disposition places us squarely at ground zero. It places us at ground zero amongst the people, amongst the noise, amongst the pollution, amongst the traffic, where we can only see a block and maybe two down the road. That is our natural disposition. And because of that, there's something critical that needs to happen in the mind of a believer whenever we encounter suffering in life. And Psalms 121 is going to give us some insight into this critical choice that needs to happen in the mind of the believer. It, beginning in verse 1, the psalmist says this, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so the psalmist says that he does what? He looks up. He looks up beyond the mountains, beyond the potential trouble that may lay before him, and he focuses his eyes and gaze on God. And so it's this conscious choice of the will to look beyond anything of this world, including our own self-sufficiency, to the name of the one who promises to see us safely through our obstacles and through our trials and through our circumstances. And the book of James, once again, gives us some insight into what this practically looks like in our daily lives. In James chapter 4, verse 10, he writes this. Listen to this. This is awesome. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do you notice again a parallel between the deliverance that James is talking about and that lifting up of Jehovah Ezer from Proverbs and Psalms? It's because it's the same word in the Greek. It's the same word, this idea of height, this idea of lifting up above the circumstances below us that God is able to give us an eternal perspective. And we have to make that choice because we don't naturally start there that I'm going to humble myself to run to the mighty fortress of Jehovah Ezer. God will never force you to trust him. God's never going to force you to run to him. That has to be a choice that we make in the midst of suffering, that we humbly regret or or push away our own self-sufficiency. It's the opposite of exactly what our natural tendency is to do. We have to humbly reject our own sufficiency and humbly accept the circumstances around us. And in essence, we say, Jesus, in this moment, in this moment, Lord, I can't handle this, but Jesus, I trust that you are able and sufficient to take whatever is happening in my life and use it for your good, and for my good and your glory. 
the crazy part about it is that our insufficiency leads us to the sufficiency of God. And so we have this new perspective that begins to develop and grow in our lives as it's elevated to this position above our turmoil. And so let's revisit again now the promises of Psalm 121 with this elevated perspective of God's sufficiency as we confess our insufficiency for ourselves. He says that in verse 3, He will not let your foot slip. And this idea is, is that God is sufficiently able to keep us from slipping in our faith. For those of you who have had kids, little kids, I've got my nephews, I was thinking about this, that there have been times when I've been walking with my nephews, especially when they were younger and they were still learning how to walk and they kind of had that clumsy walk as they're going and you're holding their hand and occasionally their feet, you're kind of dragging their feet, but you're holding them up. That is the picture that God is painting here. This idea that when we take the hand of our Heavenly Father, He is able to hold us up no matter the circumstances or situations that come into our lives. And the book of Jude actually echoes the similar truth. It says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before His glorious present without fault and great, great joy. And the idea here is that both Psalms 121 and Jude are conveying this idea that in our Christian lives, we are going to encounter circumstances and situations that may indeed cause us to stumble. And at times, we might even stub our toe. But the perspective that Jude and, and the Psalms are encouraging in this, in this moment is that we have the promise of God that he will bring us safely through whatever circumstance we are facing in that moment, that even one day we will stand safely worshiping in his presence. Our God is sufficient. And so the psalmist continues in verse 5, he says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. And there's a very important distinction that needs to be made here. It's that the Lord is your shade, not the Lord is throwing shade at you. Because if God is throwing shade at you, you've got bigger problems than your own self-sufficiency, right? God's going to get you. He says the Lord is your shade, and it's this idea of shadow. This idea of shadow. Because think about it, when I step outside, everywhere I go, my shadow follows with me. And that is what the psalmist is conveying in this moment, that the God of, has the ability to overshadow us everywhere we go and with his presence, with his love, and with his protection. And not only in the daytime, But even in the watches of the night, God's shadow persists over us. And so then he concludes with kind of the the apex of his psalm, the the closing verses. He says that in verse 7, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forever. And of all the perspectives that we see in Psalms chapter 121, this is perhaps the greatest perspective of all because the psalmist declares that there is no harm that can come to your life except that which God allows to come for your good and His glory. We have assurance that nothing can come to us except for that which God allows. And everything that comes into our lives, every suffering, every trial that we encounter is filtered through the loving hands of our God. 
There are no chance circumstances, church. There are no random occurrences in the lives of a believer. Everything that happens in the life of a believer is purposed by the will of God to bring about his glory. And this is such an incredible perspective that I love how John Calvin, the great theologian, put it. What an amazing place to be able to walk in this understanding. He said that whatever thou, he was a while back, he's back from the olden days, okay? He says, whatever thou shalt undertake and engage in during their life shall come to a happy and successful termination, either in this life or the next that whatever we engage with, we have the hope and the perspective that it shall come to a happy and successful termination because our God is in control. In the journey of life, it's our insufficiency that leads us to the sufficiency of God. It's our insufficiency that leads us to the sufficiency of God. And so Psalms 121 confronts our own insufficiency by highlighting or giving praise to the sufficiency of God. And it begs this question in our lives. Who or what do you turn to when life gets hard? When life hurts, where do you look? Because every one of us looks somewhere in life when life gets hard. Every one of us turns our gaze somewhere when life gets hard. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of my time as a youth pastor back in North Carolina. And every summer, we would take our kids on a week-long hiking expedition on the Appalachian Trail. And I'm going to tell you, I hated 99% of that trip. (laughs) The 1% I liked was getting in the van to go back home. (laughs) I am not an outdoor, rugged, kind of nature, hiker guy type of dude. That's not my personality at all. And much of the subsequent suffering that I experienced that week out on the AT was the result of my own insufficiency in my outdoor survival skills. And so I had a choice when I was out there on the AT as to how I would survive. I could either put my trust in myself and my own wilderness survival skills, which would no doubt have ended in an Oregon trial, he died of dysentery kind of moment, or I could put my trust in my trail leader, the trail guide who was instructed to guide us along the path, the trail leader who knew the AT both backwards and forwards, who had been literally hiking for their entire life. And so where did I put my trust in that moment? Well, clearly I'm not dead on some trail in West Virginia, so I put my trust in, the, in my guide. And I did that because I knew that at the end of the day, no matter what I encountered, be it good, bad, or otherwise, that that trail guide was going to see me successfully back to base camp. Now, here's the truth this morning, church. Here's the truth that I want you to catch. Because so many of us have this westernized misconception of divine providence in our lives. We falsely assume that God is unable to take care of us or doesn't wish to take care of us. And as a result, the very circumstances in our lives that were supernaturally intended to bring about greater holiness and intimacy with the Father laid us down a pathway of spiritual death because we choose to put our trust in ourselves rather than in God. the very circumstances that God intended to bring about for our good. 
we turn to ourselves and say, I got this, got it. You can take a seat. And look, here's the truth, man. When I was out hiking on that trail, on the Appalachian Trail, it didn't change the fact that even though I chose to follow that guide, that I still had to hike all the way through the Appalachian Trail. I still had to get out there and walk. I almost just cursed because I had these thoughts and images going through my head of what that was like. <laughs> didn't change the fact that I had to hike. Suffering was part of my experience out there, and the same is true in our journey of life. Because of the stain of sin on human existence, suffering is part of our human condition, church. We cannot escape it. But we have a choice this morning. We have a choice in whom we choose to run to. We can either choose to run to ourselves in our own sufficiency and try to squeeze as much happiness as we can out of this life. Or we can choose to run to the sufficiency of Jehovah Ezer, who says that in every circumstance I will see you safely through, that my name might be glorified and good might be brought about in your life. Who are you going to trust this morning when life gets hard? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.